Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, friends. This is Josie from Speaking in Church, the podcast you are currently listening to. And I wanted to tell you a little bit about my favorite current thing right now, which is Anchor. Anchor is a free podcasting platform. Um, It's the easiest way to make a podcast. This dummy, yours truly, set it up real quick. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer, which, hello, talk about easy. You don't have to be some professional computer person, which is dope. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and literally wherever else you want to put it. Uh, You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership, which, you know, some of us are just not going to get a million people listening, which is fine. Um, It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So if you want to make your own podcast about literally anything like the two of us, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey friends, welcome to the Speaking in Church podcast. I'm Josie. And I'm Spencer. And today... This week... Oh, sorry. You go. This week, we are joined by Martha Hong, uh, a dear friend of ours. Josie, you want to tell our friends more about Martha? Yes. Um, Let me see. I have a whole little bio that she sent us and I'm going to read it because it's cute. And uh, you're already listening, so oh well. She says, hi, I'm Martha, but you can call me Martha. I believe in candid vulnerability, feeling empowered, and radiating beauty from the inside out. I have two psychology degrees. Oh, wow, Martha. I'm an ENFJ, Enneagram type 2. I geek out over anything leadership and development, and my faith and community are top priority in my life. I have two full-time jobs, freelance photography, shout out to Spencer's Wedding, and global communications for Lululemon. If I'm not on my laptop or behind my camera, you can catch me in a good book, driving with no destination with windows rolled down and blasting my angsty teen playlist, finding a design project to take on, enjoying a good view with friends or on a spin bike. Wow, Martha. There Talk she about is. the Lululemon lifestyle. We love the it. The Lululemon life, let me tell you. I will say, though, I um, am very anti-Lululemon. I'm not, actually. I just... Don't want to pay for it, I guess. That's I fair. That's pretty Very pricey. <laughs> the pricey pay point. I, I hear lie. they're a miracle, though. Yeah, I I can't even justify paying it out full price, <laughs> so I can only imagine. But um, I mean, everybody looks good in them. True. 
Yeah. But uh, Martha, I know you as Spencer's wedding photographer and everybody else's wedding photographer at APU. <laughs> Big wedding photographer. Which is great. Uh, so today we're talking chronic illness mm-hmm. and I would love for you to share your testimony, your story. Yeah. Shenanigan. Here, here we go, I guess. Let's see. Um, I've always lived with a chronic illness when I was a kid. Um, the, the very first thing that kind of unraveled my journey with being sick uh, all the time, which is chronic, um, was when I was six, I was playing jump rope. I came from home from school. Um, I went to bed that night. I woke up and my right leg was shorter than my left leg. It was a, it was a freak accident. Just no, no answers, no explanation. Um, I went to chiropractors across the, across the nation, kind of saw specialists and doctors and nobody could explain what happened. Um, and I had it for about eight months, um, that condition. And so, um, I was in a walker, um, as a six-year-old, can you imagine a little six-year-old with a walker with tennis balls at the bottom? Um, my name is Martha. And so it was very fitting. It just felt like ordained that, uh, old person name, old person, tool to help me move around but oh my gosh yeah well at a time and yeah um eight months later we were at a, a conference uh my, my parents raised us in the baptist church and we were at a conference in bakersfield so we drove a bit down south for it and um there was a moment of prayer for anybody that wanted it. And my mom was like, well, like our family is obviously going through whatever this is with Martha. So we went up and we got prayed for and my leg went back to the normal lengths. And it was to this day, there's no explanation, but a miracle. And so that's kind of what started my life journey with chronic illness. And then Um, when I was in the fifth grade, I had appendicitis, uh, which really launched everything after that. So from my appendicitis, um, something happened in my body that triggered a chronic skin disease. So I have a rare skin disease called psoriasis and it's kind of, it, uh, shows up on about 60% of my body. Now it used to be at a hundred percent. Um, I don't, I don't use medication for it. I just kind of use or I'm, I'm in the sun a lot. I take care of my body with natural things. Um, but that that's me now in high school, when I was living with the skin condition, um, I did light therapy three times a week. Uh, so every single week in high school, I drove with my mom about 30 minutes and went to this appointment to get treated. Um, and I'll, I'll kind of touch on that after, but Then I went to college and when I turned 18, my bones started to hurt. And I was like, this this has to do with the skin condition. It probably is just a, just an extra add on of having a skin condition. Um, but I got tested for rheumatoid arthritis. And so now I live with that as well. Um, so just about two lifelong illnesses that I'll, I'll always have to live with that I've learned how to live with. Um, but then senior year of college, so I'm just giving you a timeline here. I hope that helps, but senior year of college, spring break. And, um, I went in for a routine biopsy, which is when they kind of cut off a piece of your skin to test it, um, which is what I usually do for my skin condition. But, um, this time they found a 
type of skin um, blood cancer, which was directly related to my skin condition. And so um, I had CTCL, which is cutaneous T cell lymphoma. And I had that for two years. So it's a type of blood cancer. Um, and then as of today, I'm now two years, can two years cancer free. Um, but I still live with rheumatoid arthritis and psoriasis, but very manageable compared to, uh, having cancer, which is lovely. Um, but that's kind of more high level what I live with. Um, don't know if you want me to go into thoughts, feelings. I got a lot of, of feelings. I yeah. want all of it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I'm, I'm a 99% feeler. So I, I really get in my feels about every and any and everything, but, um, yeah, I guess the biggest thing that impacted me from, from when I was first diagnosed with psoriasis. So when I was in the fifth grade up until this point in my life, so about 20 years now, no, that's kind of dramatic. I think you're 11 when you're in the fifth grade. So yeah, I think so. 15 ish years now, um, was, was lack of confidence. Uh, skin condition really sets you back when you live in a sunny state like California. And so I always wore layers. I've, I'm always in a jacket or long pants, socks, like anything to cover it up. So nobody would ask me what it was. Um, and being a kid and having to do that was kind of rough getting invited to swim parties and, and birthday parties in backyards was like my worst fear because I never felt like I could go and be comfortable because of what I lived with. Um, and even people that like I loved and family would kind of poke fun at it and ask like why I wasn't doing more to, to make it go away. And I'm like, well, can't really just make it go away. It's kind of there and I don't have much to, contribute to, uh, making it, making it leave my body. And so there was a lot to that. And there was a lot to unpack about how, um, beauty standards are very different in Asian culture, um, and Vietnamese. And it was just hard to see a lot of my family members and extended family with beautiful pure skin. And, um, you had me who had, red and white spots everywhere and chunks of skin on all of my joints. And so it was just a lot to figure out. Uh, and I, to be honest, I, I think I never really figured it out until I was hit with another chronic illness. And so I think when I was hit with rheumatoid arthritis was when I was like, you know, this body's still kind of strong. Like it's really carrying me through, obviously I'm still living and I'm grateful for that. Um, but it was when I was diagnosed with the second chronic illness that I was like, you know, F it. Like, I'm just going to live my life how I should. Like, I don't have to worry about what other people think. Like, if I can confidently be me without worrying, um, then, like, nothing else really matters. And so if my body was in pain or it hurt or I had a flare-up from arthritis, um, my priority was always taking care of myself. And so in the same light with a skin condition, I just really learned how to take care of myself. I um, set a lot of boundaries and things that I was doing. Um, I sleep nine hours a night, like to this day, nine hours a night is my standard. And so really just taking care of myself is important. And then when it came to being diagnosed with cancer at 22, it was, um, quite a shock, but my sister actually had cancer right before me, which is weird timing. She had brain cancer and, 
Um, having a family member go through it was quite inspiring and it was for sure like a like obviously unfortunate but it was one of those things I was like well she went through this and she got through it so if like if she can do it I can do it um so emotionally I just kind of leaned on community I leaned on my faith um living in in like whatever way I knew how which like in my bio driving with the windows down whatever made me feel free I did um and when I felt free is when I never felt pain for my chronic illness um so that's kind of the positive side of things I guess the negative side of things would just be that sometimes I forget that I live with chronic illness and then when it when it hits it hits um, and I'm somebody that's overly committed. Um, as, as we spoke about, I have two full-time jobs and I, sometimes I don't know how to slow down in order to take care of my body. And so we're hitting the point of, of this age that I'm like, well, I'm young and I have so much to do and I shouldn't let these things hold me back, but I'm also like, okay, well, I'm getting older. So I like, I need to take care of my body. Um, but those are the two things I'm going to live with forever. And so it fluctuates some months. I'm like, I'm sick and I need to take care of myself. And some months I'm like, Oh, I forgot I'm sick. Like I got to just keep going, you know? And so really just depends that that is, that's my spiel. Yeah. Wow. Martha, <laughs> I feel like we are the same in some respects. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't actually don't really, I think I've talked about my fibromyalgia on this podcast, haven't mm-hmm. I, Spencer? Brief, yeah, briefly, like when you first got diagnosed, you let the, let the peeps know, but not much detail. Yeah, well, I um, was recently diagnosed with fibromyalgia after a few years of chronic pain. Uh, I mean, in college, you're just kind of like my back hurts because I sit too much and I'm stressed. Totally. (laughs) And then when I got older, I was like, oh, now I have intense nerve pain. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's no like real diagnosis for that kind of stuff. It's just doctors saying like, yes, you have pain. I affirm (laughs) here's some random drugs that may or may not work. Right. Um, but I identified with the whole having two full-time jobs. I do a million things. I can't, I have to, like you said, like you just, that's how you just keep from noticing the pain. Totally. It's almost like the distraction helps more than anything else. Like if I don't have to focus on the fact that I'm in pain, I won't be in pain. Right. Like it's all mental thing. (laughs) Yeah. My partner actually in therapy, because we do couples therapy, full disclosure, I don't care. Um, so we were talking about, he's very adamant about me going to the doctor constantly to figure out what is like what we could do. And I had to tell him in therapy, like, do you not understand the emotional toll that going to the fucking doctor takes on somebody with chronic illness? Cause you're just going to get another doctor that doesn't know what the yeah. hell is wrong with you. Yep. <laughs> and it's and just like another stab, like in the gut. Totally. And like what, what I'm, I'm sure you resonate with is the fact that since we chose the route of going to college, we were constantly in a state of transition going from our homes to a new place, which was college to different housing areas and all of those things. And as you, kept transitioning we were constantly having to find new doctors and new 
places to go to see what's going on with our bodies. And it was always such a pain to have to re-explain yourself when you just wanted somebody to get it. Um, And then as you keep moving, it's like, well, when am I ever going to find the perfect doctor? And do I stick around for them? And like, am I going to be forever confined to this place so I can get treated? Mm -hmm. And is that going to be a limiting factor to like my next move in life? You know? Yep. Yeah. I'm getting new insurance in July, in August because I turned 26 in July. Fuck me. Um, no more dad's insurance. Oh, welcome. So I am freaking out. Cause like the whole, I, I just got my diagnosis like the last few months. Mm. So like, I don't want to have to re-explain this to somebody else. Totally. And it's like to the freaking point where I'm going to Mexico in a couple of weeks and I'm, I'm just going to stock up on some of my drugs. So nobody yeah. tells me anything. <laughs> it's, but, so, it's so tricky. It's like, uh, yeah, I feel, I feel for you. It, it's one of those things that you're like, okay, well, can I just keep living my life without it's almost like ignorance is bliss. Cause then if you start to factor in like, okay, I'm going to need to find new insurance that will be able to accommodate how much money is going to be needed to treat me. Mm-hmm. And then on the back end, it's like, well, I feel kind of fine. So like, do I need to get treated? Do I actually need to pay for this medicine that might cure me? Not sure. Mm-hmm. Or like, can I buy things that like could temporarily help me out? Like what's the, what's the cost versus what's the end game. And so I feel you on that one. Yeah. And it's expensive to have a chronic illness. I feel like people don't like, like, Oh, that's so, that's such a bummer that you're going to be in pain for the rest of your life. But like, this is actually the worst part about it. I grew up in a really Pentecostal tradition with the faith healing being a Mm -hmm. constant thing. Mm -hmm. And I love that you got your miracle. I love that. But my parents are so pissed that I never got a miracle. Exactly. That's the issue with the whole, yeah, I, trust me, I get it. (laughs) And it's always been a topic in my family of like, well, it happened for her once. Like what's happening now? Like, why isn't it taken care of? And I'm like, well, it's not how it works. Okay. Like, it's it's not like, it's not like a covering forever. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. I. I'm glad you mentioned that because while while you were talking about, you know, sort of like one after another thing happening, I kind of was thinking like, well, how did your parents feel of seeing sort of this, this miracle happen at one point, but then not necessarily seeing it again? Like, how does that impact not even just your faith, but even maybe like relationships with your parents? Because I feel like that could be something that's hard. Yeah, no, for sure. I, um, my, again, my parents are very traditional Asian people and, um, I got to a point in when I was a teen, when my mom would just come home with so many different modalities of treatment that she would hear from her friends or cousins or people that like she worked with, it'd be like, Oh, like you've told me that your daughter has this, like you should try growing an aloe vera plant and rubbing it on her skin every night, or you should try a turmeric bath, or you should try eating whatever, drinking <laughs> goat's milk only. And I'm like, yeah. I, I, I'm so thankful that you think that you're helping, but I'm also like, no mom, like I don't want to do anything else that like is obviously not proven true. Um, and so there was a rift in that relationship. I felt very coddled by what my mom thought 
could work for me versus what I knew was already working for me. And so I, I, I'll stop and say though, that my parents are my best friends. I love them a lot, <laughs> but there comes a point where it's like, well, I know you're trying to take care of me, but for somebody that lives with chronic illness, you almost learn at a young age, like how to take care of yourself. And so anytime somebody oversteps and trying to do that for you, it feels like you think I'm not capable of doing it myself. Um, and it's the most defeating thing. Cause then it kind of takes away your ability to process what you're going through and learn how to live with it in a way that makes sense to you and not the world around you, you know? Yeah. I mean, even with my partner, it's, I mean, he's my caretaker and there he's, his big push right now is that I need to get my disability placard for the days where I can't walk. <laughs> and I'm just like, no, I will not get a fucking, I can walk. Yeah. Granted I have a cane. Yeah. So sometimes I really can't walk that far. Yeah. But on those days I just stay home. He's like, no, you have to do this. And I was like, no, but it's not, it's the yeah. idea of like somebody who's trying to advocate for you, who's trying to get you to do better. It's like, I could do it myself. Like I yeah. know what I want and what I need. And I might be fucking it up, but just yeah. let me, let me fuck it up for a little bit. I I need to hit on this topic of a handicap placard. I had it for two years. I, <laughs> I qualified through the handicap just because of my bones. And like some days it was hard, right? And you had to go somewhere. But I had, I drove a Prius at the time and I, I'm a young, able-bodied looking yeah. Asian woman. Okay. Like I just look like the most non-handicapped placard deserving person. And it's like, that's not talked about enough. Like there's such a stigma that like, not, it's not even a stigma. It's just like, Oh, handicapped placard. They have to be in a wheelchair or like they have to be old as hell or like they have to be crippled to use a handicapped placard. But invisible illness is such a underrated living condition that people don't really consider. And so the amount of shame that I had in getting out of my my car to like go into target yeah. after parking in a, in a handicap spot was like, well, I don't, I'm, I shouldn't even use the handicap placard. Like I'll just leave it in the glove compartment and then park like as close as I can to a handicap yeah. spot. But it's like, damn it. Like, why do I have to feel like under deserving? Yeah. I, why do you have to justify yourself? Yeah. Yeah. And that's the worst. Uh, that's, I think that's the worst part of chronic illness is like, you always have to justify yourself. Like if I don't want to yes. go on a hike because my body hurts, I don't want to go. Like, don't invite me or like know that like my no isn't because I don't want to yeah. spend the quality time. It's because like physically I cannot. And like, yeah. please don't make me explain myself more because I feel like a burden or I feel like yeah. I've let you down, but I'm like, I'm not trying to let you down. I'm just like trying to take care of myself, you know? Yes. I think yes. that's even, that's even a big thing in, in spaces that are like that people assume able-bodied people are in. So like going to the gym, like using a handicap placard or like, I know like from experience at APU, one of my friends, her roommate had um, a chronic illness and had a handicap placard. And when they, they specifically like housing, put them in an apartment right in front of a handicap spot. So she could park there and not have to walk very far. Mm-hmm. And she had so many issues of coming home to the village late at night after work and people being parked in a handicap spot that weren't supposed to be parked there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And would call camp, call campus safety. People would get their cars towed and like would say like such ignorant things about like, 
oh, like you just wanted to park there. You're just trying to like police everybody and her like being in tears. Like this isn't about like convenience for me. Like this is really about like, like this is like a life and death issue of like, if something happened to me, like, and I couldn't get home safely, like that's an issue. Right. Or even right. like you touched on exercise. That is one of my big pet peeves right now, especially with all this, like now it's time to lose the COVID weight or whatever bullshit people are saying. Right. Yeah. And people are always like, Oh, Josie, you can exercise. It'll make you feel better. Like you run and it'll, you're, you'll stop hurting. And I was like, that right. is not how this shit works. Yeah. If literally. I run, I will be on my back for three days because yeah. I'm in so much pain. I can barely Correct. walk and you want me to run and people don't want to like just listen to you and like accept what you're saying like I understand that what you think but that's not what I'm telling you is gonna happen (laughs) yeah exactly and it's also I mean I'm like okay well we're on the topic of exercise I have a lot to say to this I work for a fitness brand but um yes Lululemon (laughs) (laughs) Uh, there's just this like underlying societal pressure to always be on the same level as everybody else, if not more, right? Mm -hmm. Like if, if, if everybody is on the, on, I'm like, what am I going to go for here? Like the VR Oculus train where you do a fitness class while in the glasses, Mm -hmm. then everybody has to do it. Like, that's the cool thing. Like you need to be able to do it. Your body needs to be able to hang And it's, it's such a, like, let's just assume everything's a one size fits all. There's no accessibility Mm -hmm. in fitness. There's no, there's no attention to the fact that not everybody has the ability to do all the things that you think people can do because you're able to do it. Mm -hmm. And so the amount of times because of shame that I feel like I have to overextend my body to do something because I feel the embarrassment if I don't is like too many to count. Like, I feel like that. Yeah. There's just, that is like, and that is like something that me, like as a plus size person that is like, I want to exercise for my body. Not because I Mm. think like, Oh, like I want to lose weight and look a certain way. Like, no, like I just want to feel like, I want to feel good. Yeah. And, and there are things that I like to do where like, you know, growing up, I love to like ride bikes and like, like at APU, like, I feel like when we were there, that's when Soul Cycle got really big. Yeah. And now, you know, like yep. Peloton and like Nordic yeah. Track, all of those things are like it. And so many of my friends were doing that and they were like, you should get one. So I did. I spent a big chunk of money on this bike that I love. I love to use. But if I wanted to do an actual class, like in the app, I oh, can't do half the stuff. Because ex- exactly what you said, like they're even their, their beginner classes are geared towards a certain kind of body, a certain kind of ability versus like, I wish they had like literally all different levels. And even like the instructors, like I know for a fact that there are fat women that could kick skinny, like skinny people's butts in a social class, but they are not, they're not the ones that are teaching on these platforms. And I'm like, yeah. And I'm like upset by that because again, it's something that I enjoy doing. Like I like, going into my office and just putting on like the manual settings and writing and listening to music and feeling good about myself. But I, at the same time, I'm like, I wish I could do a fun workout class with somebody that looked like me so I could feel motivated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
trust me in the in the topic of representation like i'm gonna go down a rabbit hole if i talk about this but we're ready for it we can move on from this one but think about how bras were created by men it's not even oh god the user experience yes you know what i mean yes and so that i feel like and i've, I've worked in marketing for three years and like now I, I still work for this company but the the lack of the right people at the table creating things for the right market is off. Like mm-hmm. if, if we're going to want more accessibility in certain areas, we need the actual voices of people that need accessibility. Like we need people that live with disabilities to consult people that are creating things for a large audience to hear the actuality of the, the why and why we need certain classes that are more accommodating for certain levels or like anything literally like the right people need to be creating things and that's kind of the flaw i think happens when it comes to quite about everything is we just don't have the right representation when it comes to creation Mm -hmm. or innovation really and so I'm like, I feel like there's hope in that. I can kind of see it going forward, but I'm like, it's 2021 and we're just taking too long. And like, why is this still conversation? You know, like why aren't bigger women creating bigger clothes or why aren't. Amen. (laughs) Right. Like why are, why are skinny women creating bigger clothes? (laughs) It's Um, so again, just to sidebar, there's a very popular, um, plus size clothing brand that you can find in pretty much every mall in the United States. Um, and their entire, um, so there's two of them. Both are not great, but one of them in particular, um, their entire like president, vice president, board of trustees, they're all men. They're not even women. Like, again, like if they were skinny women, like at least they would be women, but no, they're not, they're men. And again, it's like, they're not even like plus size men. They're just straight up like men thinking, mm-hmm. oh, what do plus size women want in clothing? And I'm like, like you would know. <laughs> yep. Well, and it's not that hard, right? Like even... I mean, forget about the fact that I were a size 10 and people tell me that I'm plus sized or whatever. And even that, like, I don't consider myself plus size. I mean, I don't really like the label in general, but I don't think that I'm like, I feel like I'm pretty close to the average woman. Like I'm not. So if a size 10 is actually uh, the average U S woman is now a 16, 18, you see. So I am skinnier than the average woman or whatever. But even then my clothes don't always fit right. Like sometimes the arms are too small or I don't know. It's the whole issue with like, you can be a size two, four, six, eight, 10, 12, 18 in jeans across different brands. And like yes, I can completely be a six in Old Navy, but then I'm a 10 in Target, you know? Yeah. And, and like, because they were created by people that aren't in the right seat. Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, in this again, like this even goes back to the the topic of like chronic illness, both physical, unseen, mental of the fact that this, like something as simple as clothing, something every human being needs is inaccessible. Mm-hmm. Like I think about like, think about like, um, you know, people that are in wheelchairs. If I, if they know, Oh, oh an old yeah. baby, I can wear this size pant and you know, it's really hard for them to 
go on try on clothes, especially like think about trying to shop independently, mm-hmm. like just to try on clothing. So yeah. they're like, Hey, I'm a size 12. Like I've done my measurements. Like I yeah. should be a true size 12. Like you said, they can go into six different stores and buy a 12 mm-hmm. and only one of them fit. Like right. that's an accessibility issue for yeah. real. <laughs> Right. Because the, because the obstacle of having to try on clothing is, is not non-existent. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious, Martha, how you've, cause I definitely have my experience with uh, being chronically ill in mm-hmm. church spaces, mm-hmm. but have you had any type of experience? Yeah. You know, like has yeah. anybody noticed? <laughs> I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you, you know, know what I'm getting at. <laughs> This, this one's a hot topic. I, I actually was just talking to my partner about it. Um, I, I think what our generation slash society currently struggles the most with is now the topic of if we are trying to gear ourselves towards more representation stories, what we run into is tokenization and picking people out for what they can offer us, right? Mm. And from a marketing perspective, from a church perspective, what we're actually ending up doing is, oh, like we need a really grabbing story for Easter Sunday about how somebody turned their life around in the name of Jesus. And like, then we'll find tens of millions of people who will then be like, I want in because look at the life that person like ended up having. Right. And so the miracle. Yeah. So what I found happening for me with chronic illness for majority of, I would say like end of high school, most of APU was Martha, can you share your testimony on screen for a video so that we can really tell the story of how God moves in people's lives through hardship? And I'm like, I love that. Okay. Like I, I'm, I'm a very positive, optimistic kind of person. So I'm like, okay, that's great. Like I also love storytelling, but then if you really unpack it, it's like, no, like you are using my story for a purpose that doesn't actually benefit the community in which I belong to. Like mm-hmm. yes. who are the viewers of this content? Is it people that live with chronic illness or is it rich white donors? Are, exactly. Or is it people that then will pity me and then email me saying how sorry they are for me, oh, which is exactly what happened the majority of the time. I would get emails from, from people that went to that church service saying like, we're so, you're so bold and you're so strong for sharing your story. I hate being called strong. Cause I'm like, what if I don't want to be strong. Okay. Like what if that's I'm not, tired. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I want to be tired and I want you to say that that's okay. Um, yeah. I'd get emails from people being like, you're so strong. You're so bold. Like, thanks for sharing your story. And I'm like, I really appreciate that. Okay. Like, don't get me wrong. I appreciate that so much, but I also want you to be like, yeah, what you live with fucking sucks. Like, yeah. I, that, you know, like that's, yes it's not easy. It sucks. And like, you don't have to be strong. And like, you also don't have to like sit on a video and like think that you have to cry and telling your story. Like I want it to be like a victorious story. And I don't want to like be told to be sappy about what I go through, you know? Mm -hmm. And I, I think that, and you know, it highlights the difference between like being in community with people. And then exactly what you said, like exploiting because you know, like, like, um, you, like Martha and I met doing ministry together. And so, um, 
that was something that, you know, like we would pray for each other. And like, I, you know, mm-hmm. when, when Martha, shortly after we met, like I got diagnosed with bipolar too. And that's something that um, Martha and a few other of our friends, you know, we would pray about and talk about, and, you know, Martha was going through the stuff that she had previously spoken about. And it was one of those things of like, Hey, we were doing life together. I hate that word, but you know, like just one of those, we yeah. were in, we were in community and like had a constant relationship. So it's different to like yeah. share with your friends of like, Hey, like this is what's happening. And this is what's God doing because exactly what you said, like, those are the kind of people that are going to be excited for you, but are also going to be there to like, tell you, like have the honest conversation of like, Hey, that really freaking sucks. And like, yeah. it's okay to not be okay. Yeah. Versus then of like, again, like, I'm not saying that sharing like testimonies is wrong, but no. I think there, there is intention behind it. And sometimes it's one of those things of like, you know, like exactly what you said, like, do I have to cry on camera about my mental illness? No, like I'm actually very, and, and you know, it's kind of a coping mechanism, but when I talk to large groups, like about living with my illness, like I'm actually very emotionless because I don't want to open myself up to that, like pity or that, like, right. Oh, we should right. feel yep. like we should feel bad. And so, no, I'm very like factual about it. Of These are the facts. Like, this is what my life is like. And it's, it's fine. Like some days suck, but a lot of these are good. So that's fine. Mm-hmm. Now I'm with you on all of what you just said. Yeah. <laughs> my least favorite part of still being, I mean, I'm pretty deconstructed or whatever. Uh, I mean, I still go to church, I work at a church, whatever, but my worst part comes from outside of my church community, which is great because I don't have to deal with it within my circle, but I hate when other people are like, oh my gosh, I will be praying for you. Maybe if you pray a little harder, it'll like the Lord will help you with your pain. Like we're going to pray for a miracle. Like da, da, da. And I was like, yeah. Like you said, I just want to be told, oh my gosh, it's such a bummer. (laughs) Yeah. Let me tell you, this is the best. Okay. This is the best. When an altar call happens and it's about like somebody going through something hard, like come down. If like you need prayer automatically, like people feel the need to like, look over at me and be like, like, don't you want to go? Like, don't you want to go? Like I, you know. I do. I do want prayer at all times of my life. Like, I think it's a foundation to, to living, but how many altar calls do I have to go to? <laughs> you want me to hit up every single one thinking that like <laughs> one day it's just going to like happen yeah. and like, don't make the decision for me. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. if I'm not feeling led by the Holy spirit to like partake in this, this moment, then that's not it for me, you know, like, because you, you, because you know, my story, like, it's not, it's not like your call to make. And so, yeah, that, that would happen to me a lot growing up. Oh my gosh. (laughs) And then like, you know, when we talk about like praying for each other, especially those experiencing, um, you know, illness to any degree, not even just chronic illness, like like yeah. I have a solid group of people that I ask for prayer because when I ask, I know that when they say they're praying for me, it's genuine. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I feel it in my life and I have that relationship with people. And then kind of what Josie was saying, you know, there's been people that are like, Oh, I'll pray for you. And I just like, I, again, like I, it's probably just me being judgmental, but I instantly am like, no, you're not like, yeah. you're saying that to make yeah. yourself feel better because yep. you're uncomfortable by what's happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and don't get me wrong. Like I, I like want to be appreciative of people that 
like go out of their way to like be empathetic, I guess, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. But internally, I'm like, I've lived with this for so many years that I've heard it all. And like, nothing you say is going to make me feel differently than how I feel every single day. Mm-hmm. And like, I also, this sounds so bad to say, but like, I also know, and just like what you were saying, Spencer, like, I know exactly who to go to for when I'm feeling the shittiest and like, yeah. I know what I need and I'll, I'll get that for myself. Like, yeah, I just, I don't love the forced empathy or like the forced pity or yeah. like, I feel so sorry for you. I want to do something. I'm like, you really don't have to like, and it's like the idea of emotional consent, right? Like, I don't want to hold your feelings about me right yes, now. Yes, 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 yes. I don't, <laughs> I'm so, I'm so glad you feel so sorry for me. <laughs> Keep it to your fucking self. All right. <laughs> I don't need to know. You know, when, right. You know, when you're going through something, but somebody else is way more emotional. Yeah. Like, Are you, did you go through? Yep. <laughs> do you need a second? Do you need, do you need me to pray for you praying for yeah. me? <laughs> yeah. And what a, oh, how ironic. Yeah. But I feel like even with my physical illness, there was nothing compared to dealing with my mental illnesses in the church. Mm-hmm. I mean, I suffer from chronic depression and I manage it pretty well, but people don't believe me just cause I'm yeah. a little bit peppy. People don't think that I have really bad depression on occasion. Yeah. And yeah, I've noticed that the church is more ready to accept my fibromyalgia, which to me feels mm-hmm. kind of equally invisible. Like, what the fuck does that even mean? Right. But people just can't handle me being sad or having right. a touch of OCD left over or whatever. Because yeah, because overcoming mental illness should be easier than yeah. overcoming physical illness, right? You mm-hmm. can take medicine. Eh. For- we should take our thoughts captive. <laughs> okay, but even like like the like oh like can you again like it's like a weird balance of you can take medicine for that yet medicine is like for a long time and even in still some communities is like not okay Mm -hmm. um and then also like when you were talking earlier about like the um you know like one of the shittiest parts about being sick is like it's expensive like having a mental illness is so expensive because Mm -hmm. therapists are expensive and nine times Mm -hmm. out of 10, your insurance doesn't cover it. And so for me, like, like I just, when I was like in the height of it, uh, seeing a therapist, like every week was like, I needed it, but it was too expensive. So I had to do every other week. And then I got to a point where I was like, I have to do once a month because I can't afford this. And then I'd have to go see a psychiatrist, which thankfully, you know, psychiatrist your insurance will cover some of that but then the medication cost and like i like and again there's crowdsourcing is a is is what people do because our healthcare system sucks but like i can't sort of go fund me and be like i have bipolar 2 disorder help me pay for therapy like nobody would donate to that nobody and and it's one of those things that i'm like like exactly what you said of and again this is twofold because people with chronic illness are like way more likely to experience mental health issues because of chronic illness can be so alienating. And so it's one of those things of like, again, it's just another example of church. You want to take care of the sick, like then you need to take everything seriously, physical, invisible, mental, you need to take it all seriously because the sick have so much more going on than you want to admit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And if, and here's my thing with the church, like, 
If there are employers that are creating access to wellness through funded programs or through benefits or through X, Y, Z, through your employer, right? Why is the only means of support in the church through prayer groups Mm. and like pastoral care? Like there, there feels like, it just feels like there could be so much more and it's it's just something that is overlooked because it's not a priority. Right. Like where's the mental health care fund? Where are the support yeah. groups? Yeah. Where is not going to your pastor as a therapist because they're not qualified to be your therapist? Right. right. And you know what? You know, in sermons, when they always talk about the broken people and most of the time, the examples are like anybody that's struggling in their marriage or anybody that yes. might be in a financial instability or or somebody that lived like i'm like what are you ever gonna say like for the person that lives with chronic depression you know what i mean like why is it always just like about your marriage or money yeah for the person that didn't want to get out of bed today the person that hoped they wouldn't wake up in the morning but Mm. showed up here today because they're looking for some hope like though like exactly what you said like i can't even tell you the number of times while in active ministry going to a church that people, you know, it's not that I, not that they didn't love me because I know they love me. I still have great relationships with so many of them, but yeah, there's just a point where I'm like, I wish one of me would just be like, like, this is real and we know it's real. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what it is back to the representation thing. There's probably just not leaders on staff that, have a big enough seat at the table. That sounds so bad, but like mm-hmm. can't yeah. make can't make the impact because they have a leader above them that doesn't prioritize mm-hmm. that need. Well, like you need. Seen, uh, I was just gonna say we've seen firsthand the effects of this. How many lead pastors have died by suicide? How many of them? Yes. Carl Lance, who went crazy and had an affair with a rando or whatever. Like I, that's probably mental illness and stress i mean why is this not we've seen it we're seeing it we continue to see it yeah there's no support for mental health yeah like where's the the medication fund the therapy funds the all these funds where's the money the church is a multi-billion dollar industry where's the money to help people and even and even the you know because some people are blessed where the finances isn't the issue. It's again, the needing somebody to acknowledge mm-hmm. somebody to drive them to their therapy appointment and sit in the waiting room because they're terrified to go. Like, yep. you know, like it's things like that, that I'm like, you know, like, cause I know like churches do that of like, you know, there's elderly people that are sick and they have church volunteers that drive them to the doctor and, you know, they sit with them and I'm like, why can't that be why can't that be for everybody? Why can't that be for younger people that are experiencing an illness? Why can't that be for people with mental illness? Like, mm-hmm. and exactly what Martha said, like, it's sad that like, there's so and again, there's so much shame built in it. Like you need somebody at the table that's experiencing it. But at the same time, like you're almost afraid to admit you're experiencing it because it a lot of times can be used to disqualify you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're not fit to lead or to serve anymore if you suffer from depression sometimes. <laughs> right. Like take take some time off and take care of yourself. But yeah. we're not gonna do anything to help you take care of yourself. Fuck you. Yeah. Get out of here. <laughs> 
I cannot handle it. Wow, wow, wow. Big issues, everybody. (laughs) Big issues. Well, Martha, we would love to have you on again. Uh, We could talk about a million things. So many things. I know. I'm like, this is a great conversation. We really got into it. I know. But I mean, (laughs) two-hour podcast, you know. Well, maybe, Mm -hmm. maybe one day. But Martha, where can the folks find you? Tell us. Yeah, you know, I'm the only Martha Hong in the world. Um, Really? Asian. Not many Asian parents name their child Martha. So uh, the only one you can type me into Google and find my Instagram, my website, my portfolio, LinkedIn, anything. Yeah. <laughs> if you uh, wanted to shoot your wedding, that'll be $10,000. Um... 10,000 dollars <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. She's busy. Don't look her up. No, look um... her up. Follow her, follow her. <laughs> Spencer, where can the folks find us? They can find us on Instagram at speaking in church. They can find Josie at Josie takes the world and they can find me at Spence Rose. Stay tuned friends for some super huge updates coming soon. <gasps> big, big news. news. Big news. We're teasing it. We we're not telling it, but we're teasing it. Um, follow us on Instagram and you'll be the first to know. Turn on those Woo-hoo. notifications. All right, friends stay woke or get woke. Jesus loves you. Bye.